This morning's scripture is, uh, comes from Acts chapter 28, verses 23 through 31. And you can follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screen above. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. So a time was set, and on that day a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others didn't believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, Go and say to this people, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Larry was reading from this uh, book, which should, hopefully is familiar to all of you. It's, it's the New Living Translation, and it's a little different format. And uh, if you're not, uh, you know, had anybody gotten behind in their reading? See, you can, you can confess here. Yeah. I'm a day behind, just to let you know. But, uh, so I got, I got some extra work to do. But it, it's a wonderful way to uh, immerse yourself. Now, Wednesday is Lent, the beginning of the traditional Christian year of preparation f- for Easter. Wonderful. I, I, I bring it up every year. I feel like it's been such a blessing to me the way I practiced it. And uh, I don't do it perfectly, but it's all grace. And so that you might say, well, maybe this I can get on board. It's a moving train, but you can get on board and begin reading in this, and you'll be finished with the New Testament by the time Easter is over, except for the part that you've already missed, but we're okay with that. Um, I want to, so I want to say one thing before I get started, uh, relating back to last Sunday. Did you guys watch the football game last week? The, the, uh, and most of you were probably happy with the outcome, right? But I want to tell you what impressed me the most. Uh, after the, the game was over, some of those interviews were, I mean, it was like God was on display, right? And yet, you know, that doesn't come out in the press. It was just that the next day, you know, it just it seemed like they don't know what to say when that stuff happens. But the one that impressed me the most was uh, Nick Foles, the MVP quarterback uh, in the Super Bowl. Guess what he wants to be when he grows up? A pastor. And, I, you know, I told Patty, Patty, I've always wanted to be an MVP quarterback. <laughs> and now I feel validated as a pastor, a most valuable pastor, MVP pastor, right? All right. Well, you guys are so sweet, you know. All right. Uh, I want to give you a question. And the question is real simple. Who would have thought? And I'm going to give you some raw material to think about. Who would have thought? And this is where Disney started 70-some years ago in a garage. And 
then this is where HP, Mr. Hewlett and Mr. Packard got their start in 1939 in a garage. And closer to home, this is on Northeast 28th. This is where Jeff got his thing going there in the garage. Some of you work for Jeff now. And who'd have thought? If you were driving by one of those places that week, and then also in a garage, this, it's amazing. If you, um, well, I was going to say you Google this, but Google is one of the places that got started in a garage. <laughs> and also Microsoft, there's a garage story there. And um, Apple, right? Who, who could forget Apple? And then also I was told that, that Jeannie, our local, somebody came up to me afterwards, you, you know, okay, I got to promote the local. But Jeannie also got, so a lot of things happen in garages. Go home and clean out your garage. Okay, no, that's not the message. But uh, who would have thought? So taking that concept of who would have thought, and these companies are all, you know, 75 years old. Most of them are like, you know, less than 20 years old maybe. But who would have thought that this... 16-year-old peasant girl in a place called Nazareth. And as the Bible says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was one of those places, kind of like Moses Lake, you know. Sorry if I've insulted anybody. Yep, all right, you know, what I'm talking about. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then we find this, uh, in the backwaters of the Roman Empire, this small little podunk town is where Luke picks up the story in the Christmas story, and he says, in the days, in those days, uh, uh, Caesar Augustus de- made a decree, and that everyone should go to their place of birth. They end up, you know, coming down to Bethlehem, another little out of the way place there. But this whole story—that's where Luke starts. And by the time he gets to the end of the book of Acts, which is part two of his account, uh, this little this movement that started in the garage of Nazareth—if I can use that metaphor is become a threat to the Roman Empire. And that's a big, you know, those 1,500 miles, and we find Paul there speaking openly and boldly about the gospel, the real kingdom, the one that lasted not a 1,000 years, but forever. It will go forever. And so who would have thought? Well, Jesus would have thought. So here's uh, some words from Jesus. From last week, as we read Luke's gospel, Jesus asked his disciples, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Well, it is like a mustard seed, a very small mustard seed, which a man took and he planted in his garden, and it grew and it became a tree, and then the birds find their place in the tree. I mean, it's, it starts out really, really small in that garage in Nazareth, and it ends up, and we're going to look at some of the ways today that it continues to uh, branch out into our lives. And the things that we read about in the book of Acts are the same things, it's the same spirit, same story, the same things that, that happened then, happen now, uh, a little differently, and uh, maybe not as intensely, but we'll see how what happened then relates to what happens now. So here's our, uh, I'm just going to leave that up there, that's our outline, and you can kind of see where we are in this whole thing as we read through, or I'm going to give you the, the, the 60,000 foot, foot flyover of, the, um, of, Paul's, or of, of uh, Luke's second part of his story. The first part was the Gospel of Luke. The second part is the book of Acts. Okay? Well, uh, we're going to look at how, first of all, the wind blows on the apostles. What is the wind? That's the literal translation of the Greek word for spirit. So it's how the Spirit blows on the apostles. 
And in fact, the, the book of Acts, some have said, should really be called the Acts of the Apostles. Or, I'm sorry, the Acts of the Spirit. Because it's really about the Holy Spirit moving. And he blows on the apostles, and then he blows on Paul, and he still blows on us. The, the story ends in Acts, or, uh, Acts 28, and many have said that we're living in Acts 29. So it just continues. It's the same spirit, same story. So uh, on the apostles, uh, the last words, Luke wrote, uh, the first part of his uh, narrative was about Jesus, and he's writing about the three years, mostly, that Jesus was on earth, and he, his life, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection. And then we find Jesus, who has risen from the dead for 40 days amongst his uh, d- disciples and he's giving them his final teachings. And we pick up on that. They're in, um, in Acts chapter 1. They're in Galilee, and the disciples ask Jesus a question. So when they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They wanted to know if this is getting the time. And he said to them, it, does not, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. Uh, we, we really need to hear that. I'm not just, I mean, how many, t- throughout the 2,000 years of church history, how many times people are trying to figure out the times and the dates of the coming kingdom? I mean, it, uh, you can see why people get cynical about, on that thing. And yet somebody else, I'm sure, in the next year will come up with another scheme for that. Uh, so Jesus says, don't do that. If you're a follower of Christ, don't do that. <laughs> and um, here's what he says, though. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So don't worry about the times and dates. If you're worried about times and dates, you're not going to be a witness. You're going to be all caught up in charts and calendars and what, what this and that and the other. Uh, the current events. And, and he says, no, you, your call is to be my witnesses in Jerusalem first, and then in all... Uh, and so chapters 1 through 7 of this book of Acts are all about Jerusalem and where the Holy Spirit comes upon the church there. And then it, he says, not just Jerusalem, but in all Judea and Samaria, that's around Jerusalem, and we read about that in Acts 8 and 9. You see, here's the outline for the whole book right here. And then uh, in all, to all the ends of the earth, and that's chapters 10 through 28. So there's the three circles that we have. It's all right there, outlined for you. And uh, then we re- get into chapter 2, which is right, right here, right next to chapter 1. But if you're reading out of the immersed thing, you don't have numbers in there, so that might mess you up. But the next thing that happens is that the Holy Spirit comes upon this community of people. And there's 120 there. Uh, roughly at that time, the estimate is that there would have been about 500 followers of Christ. And with... You know, that's out of a population of five or 50 million people in the Roman Empire. So 500 people, uh, 120 of them are gathered there in Jerusalem now, and the Spirit blows upon them, and there's a little, you know, flicker, and then the, as the wind hits the flame, it spreads, and that day, 3,000 people came to Christ. Amazing, right? You haven't seen nothing yet, okay? So it's impressive, but in the, in the 2,000 years since, there's been many things bigger than that. So just, yeah, we'll come to that a little bit later. And um, things start to happen. Uh, the Spirit is, is blowing left and right unpredictably. You remember Jesus said the Spirit, or the wind blows where it blows, and uh, it goes, uh, it breaks across these barriers of geography, but also ethnicity. And then you see how it, it goes out and um, 
does things that people don't like even. So last week we talked about the prayer of a first century Jewish man being, thank God, O Lord, thank you, Lord, that I am not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Remember that? Were you here last week? And I said, I'm very much like, that's not a good prayer. Don't pray that prayer. Um, God doesn't want to hear that prayer. It's, uh, and so what you see in the book of Acts, though, is how God includes all of those, those three groups. So women are very much at the center. So that barrier comes down. And then slaves are there as well. And then uh, the Gentiles. And that becomes really the big question in the book of Acts is how to resolve the difference between Jews who have become Christians and followers of Messiah and those who are from the Gentile who have no Jewish background. Will they have to be circumcised? And you remember that as you, as you read this week. I'm assuming that you've read this week. So there you go. Um, and it, it, by the end of the, the book, we discover that God loves everybody. How's that? Everybody. Then we get to, on our, the second point up here, we have to say quite a bit about Paul if, as we read the book of Acts. So we meet Paul in chapter 7, but his story of conversion unfolds in chapter 9. And he is on the road going to do some damage to Christians. Remember, he was somebody who persecuted Christians. And uh, I'm sure the Christians were all prayer. When they see Paul coming, they start to pray and they start to hide. Uh, That's the kind of person he was. And he, on his way, uh, he has an experience with the living Christ. Christ reveals himself to him and he falls down on the road to Damascus and he is blinded. And Jesus asks, asks him two questions. If you read all of the accounts of Paul's conversion, he asks him two questions. The first one is, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, Why are you hurting me? And he might ask us that question uh, because of something that we're doing that, that hurts him. But the second question is the one that really fascinates me. He says to Saul, that he's called Saul at this point, he says, so, uh, why are you kicking against the goads? Goads, not goats. <laughs> goads. And so I need to explain that word, right? Yep. So think of, um, uh, 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 this is from the ranching, farming world, but think of a post, a strong, uh, firm metal post that is embedded in the ground that absolutely will not move. And... Um, People who were animal handlers in those times would get a kicking animal, and a kicking animal is a dangerous animal. They're dangerous to other animals, and they're dangerous to uh, other pe- or people. You don't want to be kicked by a horse, right? You guys know that? Or an oxen or a sheep even. So they would, they would have these kicking posts or goads, and you kick, and then it would hurt the animal, and then they would learn not to kick. Make sense? That's what it means to... So Paul, or Jesus says to Paul, why are you kicking against the goats? So here's what Jesus is saying. Why are you hurting me? And Paul, why are you hurting yourself? You see, when we, when we go our own way and we do life on our own, we really hurt ourselves. And I've heard that voice from Jesus myself and in very subtle ways, not quite as dramatic as Paul, but here's how I've heard it. Mark, why are you hurting yourself by not forgiving that person. You know, you're really hurting yourself. Why are you bitter? Why are you bitter? You know, things happen in marriage, right? We're not always 
you know, it's Valentine's Day this week. Hey, great for Valentine's Day. But we don't live in Valentine's Day, do we? And, and so why are you not loving your wife? You know, you're hurting yourself by not loving your wife. It's, it's just, you know, if the two are one, that's what the scripture says, the two become one, and you're not loving your wife, then you're not loving yourself. Do the math. So this is where I hear this voice from Jesus to me. And I want you to think about it. Why are you hurting yourself? Well, Saul goes into, I'm going to call it his garage, and he goes, he's blinded for three days, and he goes to Damascus, he, he makes it there, and as far as we know, he's by himself for those three days. And in those three days, he makes, uh, some, he, he figures it out, he comes to some conclusions. He first of all discovers that, and he knows this, I mean, he can't argue it away, that Jesus Christ is alive. That's who he met on the road. He can't, I got to deal with that. Secondly, he comes to the conclusion, as he thinks about scripture, this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whether you like it or not, some of you don't like this, but Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. You just don't see him fully. But it's the same God. And that's what Paul had to come to that conclusion. It's not a different God. And the third thing he had to come to was that this is somebody I can trust in. I can wrap my life around. I can put my weight down on, and I can trust. I'm going to trust him. No matter what, I'm going to trust him. And so uh, in those three days, his identity is reshaped, and he's named Paul, but he's given a mission as well as he listens more carefully to what Jesus is calling him to. And uh, we find out that he's called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, which is, that's where the story is going to go. That's why Paul is such an important player in this whole thing. And and Jesus says to Paul, uh, he says, you're going to have to suffer a lot for my name. Well, (laughs) it's pretty exciting what happens. There is some suffering, but as we read the stories in the book of Acts, there's a lot of miracles too, right? So he gets to experience a lot of stuff that's on the plus side, but a lot of hardships. Time and time again, he runs into uh, problems. And so the question comes up, though. I want to focus on the miracles for a sec. And if, I were to, if we were to stop and, and ask if anyone's experienced a miracle, I think most of us, if we really, you know, as, as things kind of got going in the room, would realize that, hey, maybe I have experienced a miracle uh, it, it, as you think more deeply about it. And I want to just tell you this right now, that if you are a Christian, then you are a miracle. There's no other way to be a Christian. That, in other words, to be spiritually born, which is the definition of a Christian, is a miracle. It's... Um, is something that you can't, that doesn't happen naturally. And it didn't happen that way for Paul. And so it won't happen that way for us either. Uh, so the question though is how do we reconcile all the, the wonderful activity, the amazing stuff that happens, and we see it here in, in the book of Acts, with sort of the dry periods of kind of what we would call normal life? Uh, and uh, I'm going to take a shot at that. And you remember Jesus said, the wind blows where it blows. So, meaning, it, it sounds like one of those real, you know, kind of profound statements that somebody made, but if you stop and think about it, what he's saying is you can't control the Spirit. The Spirit is going to blow where it's going to blow. And be thankful that it has blown upon you, is what I would add to that. And then be hungry for it. 
But I want to give you a little bit of perspective on 2,000 years of church history. It's not all pretty. Did you know that? It is not all pretty. And I was uh, with my dad one day. We were driving over Blewett Pass, going over to uh, Wenatchee there, and coming down on that other side. He asked me a question. He'd been reading a book, uh, that, and I don't, I don't really know the, the angle of the author, but it exposed a lot of the things in the 13th, 14th century that were going on. He said, did you know, he said to me, do you know that there were three popes at one time? And I said, yeah, I did know that. I remember that from, and it, I, he, he says, I can't believe how corrupt the church was. And if Jesus, if Jesus said this and taught this, then how did this happen kind of thing? And, uh, you know, so there we, it, it, it opened up a good conversation between my dad and, and myself. We didn't always have a lot of spiritual conversations. And, and then uh, the, and I said, well, the good thing that came out of that, though, is the Reformation came out of it. You know, there were, there's always a, the candle has always been lit, folks, for 2,000 years. There's always a faithful believer somewhere. And yet it gets pretty thin at some points. The flicker is barely alive. And that time in history was a really dark time. Uh, you had three popes. One of them loved money. One of them loved sex. One of them loved power. Well, they all probably loved all three. They were, it was really bad. And they were competing with each other. And you, know, and you can say, I could have said to my dad, well, that's just the Catholics, you know, you know. But it's not just the Catholics, because I'm honest enough to know that. But I did say, well, then the Reformation came, and Martin Luther and John Calvin, and and there was just a a bursting forth, a flame. That little flicker turned into kind of a flame, and then he came back and said, well, maybe I said it, but then there was the Thirty Years' War between all these Christian groups. That was just between Christians. Eight million people died in a war between Christians, fighting over doctrine. And out of that comes our, our own uh, heritage as, as people in the covenant church. You may not know that, but there was a revival that came out of that. And then, you know, it just, so it's 2,000 years of contraction, expansion, and, and good and bad. It's not, uh, it's not pretty, but it's, parts of it are really beautiful. And then we get to the last, I'm going to just, there's a lot of history here, but I'm going to focus on the last 50 years or so. 75 years. 75 years ago, the common assumption was, and it still is today some, in some places, it drives me nuts, but the, the assumption was that Christianity is basically a European, North American phenomenon. That's where the center of Christianity is. And it, that was true or more true 75 years ago, but it's not true anymore. And I celebrate that. It has broken out. It has spilled out into the global south. There are far more Christians in the global south than there are in the northern hemisphere now. A per, the average Christian in the world is a person of color, and they're young. It's an amazing phenomenon what's happened. China, I mean, it's just, I could go on. And in Africa, 25,000 people a day commit their life to Christ in Africa. That's, that's eight Pentecosts a day, folks. That's why I say don't get too impressed with 3,000 people coming to Christ. Now, we live in a post-Christian culture here that's hard. The soil is hard. But this is all reality. The Spirit still blows there's still evidence that he is at work and for us to, to hunger for that spirit is a good thing. All right, so we get to the end of chapter 28 or the end of uh, the book of Acts, chapter 28, and Paul has, if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that phrase in there, I must go to Rome. He has a longing to go to Rome. He's never been there. It's, it may be in, in your, like some of you want to go to Rome and see the Vatican and I've been there. It's really cool stuff. Uh, but um, Paul's never been there. He has, he's written a letter to there that we have, we'll come to this week in our readings, but 
in that letter, he says, I long to come and see you. Uh, so, but now he is in Rome. He's finally made it, but as a prisoner. <laughs> That's not how he wanted to go. So he gets on, he's on this prison, uh, on the ship as a prisoner. And you probably read about the shipwreck and all that. But he gets to Rome and he's there under house arrest, which is better than what? I mean, if you had to be under arrest, wouldn't you rather be under house arrest? So he's free to share the gospel with people that come. And he's got these friends there that we, we know about. And he's finally made it to Rome. And that's where Luke stops the story. But we know there's more to the story. So I want to give you what Luke would have said probably something like this had he written five years later. And uh, there was two years of house arrest and then he went on another missionary journey, most scholars believe, his fourth missionary journey. And he probably went to Spain, we don't know for sure, but that we find that he wanted to go to Spain. And he wanted to use Rome as kind of his base to, from which to go from. And, but we don't know exactly what happened. What we do know is that he ends up in prison again. And that's where we have uh, some really cool letters that he wrote to the Ephesians and the Colossians and Philemon and Philippians and, and Second Timothy. And uh, I want to focus in on the, uh, the last two. Philippians and Second Timothy are the last two letters, as far as we can tell, that he wrote. So the prison, all these prison experiences that you read about in the book of Acts, most of them end with a miracle, do they not? Have you noticed that? Either Peter or Paul or the apostles, they're, they're jailed up in prison and the guard falls asleep or, you know, suddenly the door, the door opens, an angel comes in. It's all miracle stuff. But now we're in a prison cell in a deep dungeon under, probably under Nero's palace it's in Rome is where the hints are. And this is not going to be a place that he's going to escape from except for when he dies and tradition says he was beheaded. So if if we look at those two letters, first of all, the Philippian letter, we find a a very joyful Paul in a very dark place. And we have to think, well, how could somebody be so joyful when they're in such a bad place? And, you know, we can answer that for Paul, but uh, that's as you read that. And he's so joyful that he's got, he, he says that the guards that are with me are starting to be won over to the gospel. And how would you like to be a guard for Paul? When you're, you know, you're a hard, you know, prison guards. I have to be careful because I know some here, but uh, it's a tough deal. You get cynical being a prison guard. You want to see sin up close. Well, here's a guard. Maybe he's tough and we don't know, but he's chained to Paul, so Paul can't get away. Now he's got to listen to Paul all day long. Talk about the gospel. I mean, what's, what are the odds that he's not going to be a Christian at some point? So Paul says that I'm in chains, but the gospel is not chained. And even the guards are starting to be won over. And then he's talked about Nero's household also being won over to the gospel. So he's very encouraging in that letter. But then you get to 2 Timothy, and it takes a turn, and the wind begins to shift. And you can see it in chapter 4 of that letter. And And Paul is still rooted in the same place. But you can see how human he is, and he's reached the limits of, of his humanity. And he says that um, my departure is now near. I have fought the good fight. Uh, he's 
he's getting, he knows he's getting close to the end. And then he does some lamenting. And he, he's such a people person. Uh, he's always had friends. And, and um, if you look in the, all the lists of friends that he has, it's, it's an amazing list at the end of those letters. But they seem to be gone now. And so there's, you know, that's hard. When you've, he's 35 years, he's been a follower of Christ. And he's in a prison under the palace. And he says the only one left is Luke. That's why I say Luke could have written a later version of his story. But he, we don't have it. And then he says to Timothy, who he's writing to, uh, send Mark to me. And Mark, if you remember in Acts chapter uh, 13 and 14, was one that Paul had taken along with him. He's younger. And that Mark got homesick. And Paul uh, felt let down by that because he, he, his relationships at home were more important than preaching the gospel. And Paul held that against him. But now they've settled that. And Paul has had to probably ask for forgiveness from Mark. Uh, and he wants Mark to be with him at the end. Bring, uh, send Mark. And then he says, bring my cloak because this prison is really cold. And bring my books, because he loves. We know that he loves to read. Paul's a very. He's very literate, very intelligent. And then, finally, he says, "And come before winter," to Timothy. So you see, I mean, it's, it's just kind of. You almost want to cry for him. This man who's done so much, and now he's in a place of great need. But in the middle of that, even he says that when everybody else deserted me, the Lord was my strength. It's a beautiful picture. And. Um, how was the Lord his strength? What is it that Paul has? This is where we get to his secret. And it's, it's a real simple secret. You know, Paul is so gifted and so uh, well-educated and so cultured. He, you can see that, you know, he's a, he's a Roman citizen and, and uh, come, probably comes from a, a really, you know, good family there. And, and you can, a you know, high performer, you know, he would probably stand out as a student at Skyline or, or wherever. And, and he probably could have been the president of one of these companies I mentioned earlier. But here, here he is, um, and his secret is none of that stuff. His secret is simply this, that he's a man in Christ. He, that's it. He is nothing more than a man in Christ. We could say a person in Christ. And it's, it's, it's simple as wrapping his uh, life around something that doesn't move, something that renews you. Something that doesn't blow with the wind when, you know, the wind of the culture, but blows with the wind of the Spirit. He's centered in Christ and he is blown by the Spirit. That's Paul. And he says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he he talks about how uh, we are renewed daily. And, and that's his strength. He is renewed daily by the living person of Jesus Christ. So the question for us is, that's his secret. Is it your secret? I mean, that's, that is the secret to life, being a person in Christ. And I just want to close in prayer as we offer our hearts up to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us of Christ, the living Christ, the one who is Lord of all, who sent his spirit, whose spirit still blows across our land, and yet, Lord, it seems like we, we need to hunger for more. And so if that hunger is in a heart today that's here, I pray 
that you would blow upon the hungry hearts. Blow upon them, Lord Jesus. Blow upon my heart with your spirit. Bring life. Renew us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.